Well, it's a super Sunday, don't you think? Glad you've kicked off, haha, your Sunday by coming to church. And as you have heard from Camille, it is also Black History Month. In fact, Camille kind of threw out to some of us a good question this past week. She said, when we hear that phrase, African American Heritage Month or Black History Month, uh, do any names just pop into your head? And I had just all sorts of them pop into mine. Um, I love preaching. I thought of uh, E.V. Hill. Any of you remember him? Great, great preacher from here in Los Angeles. And E.K. Bailey, the great preacher from Texas. I've always wanted to kind of preach like them. John just never had the gift to be able to do that. Uh, And, of course, I love tennis. So I thought of Arthur Ashe, Hall of Famer, Wimbledon winner from 1975. And I love music. And I thought of all sorts of musicians. My, My dad was a big band sax player, you know, so we were always listening to Count Basie and, and to Duke Ellington uh, at our home, uh, Ella Fitzgerald and, and Louis Armstrong and, and, and Ruby Hines over here, you introduced me to Marian Anderson, uh, the great classical oratorio opera, opera singer. So I, all sorts of thoughts popped into my head, but now as I'm at last getting to, to the meat part, I'm going to get to the word here, uh, I started thinking about the uh, black history heritage that has influenced, I think, every church that follows Jesus uh, throughout our entire country. Because the gospel music heritage uh, has been, become such a big part of the way that we worship God. And when you think about gospel music, how, how it rose in the worst of times in our history, where people made in the image of God were put under the yoke of slavery... But, but knew that that's not the way that life should stay. So weren't content with that. But at the same time, we're not in despair without any hope and wrote music about all of that. It brings me right into the text that we're looking at today, Luke chapter 16. Because always throughout that history, those songs emerged by looking at Jesus, the Son of God who didn't even have a place to lay his head. The Son of God who didn't have but 33 years to live and then used the last part of his life to focus on going to the cross knowingly and intentionally to give his life for us. And it brings us right into the text we're looking at today. Words that are spoken just before Jesus goes to the cross to give his life for ours. We're in this series, Don't Waste Your Life. And I've said this is a message about the one who truly did not waste his life. It's about Jesus. And so as we come to this text today, we have Jesus with only a short time to live. And so if he's not going to waste his life, how will he use that physical life and those few moments that God the Father had entrusted to him? And he chose to give up his physical life to bring about our eternal salvation. He thought it was good stewardship For him to give his physical life so that you and I could have eternal life. And he uses some of his time when he doesn't have very much time left to teach us about the use of those temporary things in this world that God entrusts to us. I I almost think he looked at his followers in his day and said, I don't think they get it yet. That this isn't just for having something right now. I'm talking about something that lasts forever And so he takes some time to tell a story so that we can begin to get it. 
he takes us back in one sense to what was already in the Old Testament. And next week we'll look a little bit more at that. That the, the people of Israel had already been taught that everything that has been made has been made by God. Everything we have has been entrusted to us by God. He owns the cattle on a thousand hills. And God had put for them some regulations to develop a rhythm of life for their giving. Just, just like for the use of time, God built a rhythm of life with six and one. Do you remember? Six and Camille, you reminded us of it. So with our financial giving, God built this rhythm of taking time to identify that even though it's all from Him, we start by taking a tithe and bringing it to the Lord to build that rhythm into our lives so that the rest of it can fit together. Now, if you're new to church and you heard this word tithe, you say, what is that? Is that, can't be, 10%? Ugh. Well, let me tell you something about that, that rhythm that he gave them in the Old Testament days. There, there was first a tithe to God, uh, mostly for his clergy, because they didn't have any property to support them. And I'm really, I hope that we'll keep doing that so that pastors can all... John, don't you hope that that'll happen here? A second, though, there was a second tithe. Oh, no, you say. Well, don't leave yet. Uh, a second tithe that went for the spiritual and community life from the temple or the synagogue. A lot like our operations budget here to keep all that's happening going here. But then every third year, there was a third tithe that went specifically for the poor, especially for the orphans, the widows, and the immigrants in the community. It's a lot like the benevolence offering that we take after communion on a Sunday morning. But now Jesus comes, and he, he reinforces the tithe to God as being something that will build a rhythm into our lives in a couple of places in his teaching. But what Jesus does is he deepens our understanding about our stewardship of material things. He does it in a couple of ways. One, he points us to something that we all know, that he makes us alive to an eternal world. Jesus said, if you trust me, you'll be born again. You know that phrase? Which means we are born, we're made alive. Not just to this physical world, but we are born and made alive to eternal things. And so our giving is that we learn that temporary things can be invested for God's eternal mission, his eternal kingdom. He opens that up to us. And the second thing he does, he goes into our hearts. And he says the real thing that will make it so that you and I are stewards of anything, our time, talents, or treasures, will be this. The depth of our love of God. The depth of our love of God. He talks about this in so much of his teaching, but for me the clearest place is here in Luke chapter 16, verses 1 through 13. It's a text that's transformed the understanding of stewardship of followers of Jesus for a long time. I don't know, as, as, as we were reading it together, if you thought, that's a strange story. I find that in the 21st century, it's hard to understand for some people, and, and so we ignore it. But I am telling you, Jesus tells a story, and then he gives four razor-sharp applications of how we are to use whatever God entrusts to us. And I pray that I can be as razor-sharp as he was today. But bottom line, in case you miss it, here's what the overarching message is. For a follower of Jesus, for someone claims to be a Christian, faithful and sacrificial stewardship is supposed to be a way of life that is patterned after the life of Jesus himself. He's on the way to the cross. He's going to show us how to use something temporary, his own life, to bring about the eternal, our eternal salvation, 
The one who was rich, he became poor for our sake, so that our stewardship at the end of the day flows out of the greatest command, our love for God and simply wanting to honor and please him. All right, so we only have a few moments. Let me, let me begin by looking at that story. It's in verses 1 through 8. It has two people. It has a man who is rich and owns a lot of property, and it has his steward. As I said, many people are confused by it because sometimes we try to think, well, that man who has a lot, that must be God, and the steward, that must be us, and then we get all confused. Well, as I hope, I'm, I'm, I'm going to show to you. So, so this, the man who, who owns all the property... Almost certainly in his culture, it would have been a Jewish man. And I don't know if you know this, we can understand their economic times. But Jewish people were not supposed to take interest from other Jewish people. Can you imagine our banking system if we tried to do that? Just imagine it. So they weren't supposed to do that. But Jewish merchants and businessmen many times had figured a way to get around that. They didn't charge any money, but they were willing to charge commodities. So, so they would loan out uh, uh, 40 uh, barrels of olive oil, and then they would say, oh, I want back uh, 60. Uh, they're, not technically, they're not technically charging money interest, but they're getting something back from it. So if you were very wealthy, you needed to have a steward, a manager, who would uh, take care of all the transactions. And here's the way it worked. If you loaned out uh, 50 uh, bushels of wheat, then the uh, owner would expect the steward to get back, well, let's say 70 bushels when it comes due. And then the steward, for his own compensation, his own life, was able to add a surcharge on top of that and keep whatever. And some of them added a surcharge that was exorbitant and that that oppressed uh, the poor. And that's what we have going on in this situation. The steward has a surcharge above what is owed to his master, and then the master comes and finds out that this steward has been dishonest. And so he comes to him and says, I found out the way you've been doing business. Now you finish up all the transactions that you're doing, make sure that that's brought back to me, and then you clean out your desk. And I don't know if I can even say it as well as Jesus told it in this story. The steward just said, wait a minute. I've been doing this my whole life, so I'm a weakling. I can't go out and dig dishes or dig ditches. And I haven't had the kind of education. What else am I going to do? I'm going to lose my job. And the money that I get from these last transactions will be the last money. How am I going to survive? Do you understand the story so far? And so he thought, I have an idea. Maybe, maybe I can make some friends by lowering the surcharge. Getting rid of it. So do you see, he really has a choice to make. I think I've put it up here just so that you won't miss it. Would he take as much money as he could at the moment? So that's one, one part of the choice. But then if he does that, he's not only in bad graces with his uh, owner, but also the other rest of the people would be mad at him and he's all on his own and when that money's gone, he has nothing left, right? Or... Would he do something to make friends who might actually provide a place for him to eat a meal and to sleep once it's gone? And he makes his choice. He gives up his surcharge and he makes friends. And so when the owner learns about it, he doesn't commend him for that earlier dishonesty. What he commends him for is that he made a wise choice. That instead of just doing something that's not going to last very long, he was smart enough to know 
that it's much better to invest in something that lasts longer. It's better to invest in relationships than simply in holding on to, to money. So the story's point is this. Any sensible person, any sensible person, even somebody dead to God, should be able to see that using more temporary resources, like money, of this world, to strengthen more lasting resources, like friends, is making a good choice. That's the story. Do you, do you see it? Now, if you see it, let's just try to go. Jesus says, now I want to tell you, I'm going to the cross, I don't have much time. God has entrusted to you temporary things. And now I've made you alive to eternal things. One, two, three, four. I want to talk to you about how you use what I've entrusted to you. Lesson number one, as you come there to verses eight and nine. I want you to learn at least this from that dishonest steward. Invest for the longer haul. Don't just live for immediate gratification. Invest for the longer haul. See the, the way he puts it. Even the people of this world are shrewder in dealing with their own kind than are the people of the light. I'm telling you, use this worldly wealth to gain friends for yourself. You see what he's saying? Even somebody who doesn't know anything about eternal life, even somebody who doesn't know that, that people are made in the image of God, like this dishonest steward, even people who don't know that God is involved in an eternal mission in this world are smart enough to know that you can use temporary things with things that last longer. So the first point that Jesus makes is just good common sense. Just good common sense. And if he was speaking to them, and it seems to me that the very thing underlying all of this is that Jesus understood that one of the things that happened when we turned away from God is that uh, we think we have to have something right here and right now if we're going to be happy. Do you think if that was true in his day, that it might be true here in Southern California? Are you with me here? I'm going to tap my microphone. You know, this is the ultimate consumer society right here. We, we live in a place where we think, I've got to have that right now. And so, so we go, go after that thing. And our society, a consumer society, reinforces all of that. If you don't believe me, watch the commercials today on the Super Bowl. You know what a consumer society does? It tries to leave each one of us in a constant state of dissatisfaction. We can't become satisfied with what we have because tomorrow we have to buy something more for things to keep going. The whole thing today is going to be you have to drink this beer or you'll never be happy. You have to buy this car or you'll never be happy. You even have to have this toilet paper in your bathroom or you'll never be happy. It's all after that consumer mentality and sometimes we buy into it. And we buy those things and say it didn't make me very happy. Maybe I got the wrong one. I better read consumers' reports and find out what it is. So I could go on for a long time. This isn't the meat part, is it? I just want to see you, make sure you get this. That this first lesson that he drives home is that good stewardship, biblically, as I've said it so often, is using what doesn't last long to bring about what lasts longer. 
And uh, even people who don't even know Jesus at all. He says, even like this unjust steward can see that. Sometimes the people of this world just seems to be a lot more astute than often we are. And he's calling on you and me to live in the light of what we believe. Because we've been made alive to eternal things. So my question for us today in the light of Jesus' application is, will you resist the spirit of this age that keeps pushing us and pushing us toward immediate gratification? I think it takes an intentional choice, a daily choice. The world is going to try to get us into its mold. Will you resist it? And begin thinking, Lord, how can I use what isn't going to last to bring about something that will last longer? Which brings me to a second lesson, which I think in verse 9, I'll put it this way. We need to learn to invest the way Jesus did, namely in people. We need to invest in the way Jesus did, and that is in bringing blessing to people. Verse 9, I tell you, use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourselves, so that when it's gone, and here he's going to start getting toward the eternal peace, you can use that worldly wealth so that you will be welcomed into eternal dwellings. Now, there's one striking thing that if you have the same version I do, the NIV, uh, I don't like the translation. Worldly wealth... The, the real word, those of you who, who use the old 1611 King James, you know what it was. Unrighteous mammon. And that's really what it was saying. He's saying there's something about material possessions that just aren't right. It's, it's strong language. And that could either mean that money is always evil, or it could mean, especially the word that he uses, something unrighteous that's not right. There's something about material things that has a tendency to bend us so that our lives are no longer right. Does that make sense to you? And I'm quite sure it's the latter that Jesus meant. That we have to beware. Because it's not that money is always evil. It really isn't. In fact, even in a story, you see, you can use the wealth of this world to make friends. So it's not always unrighteous. But we have to beware There's something about possessions in this world that begin to possess us. We think we've got to have them. And going after them, it makes us neglect our priorities, neglect friends, neglect our families, sometimes even tend toward dishonesty. It's that allure that I was talking about. If only I had, if only I had, then we go after it. And and once we have it, it doesn't fulfill. I mean, history is filled, and maybe our own lives are often filled with us trying to fill a void in us, something's missing, that we think that is going to be able to fill. And Jesus is just saying to us, as he goes to the cross, remember that, himself having very little time left, he says, don't let it happen to you. Uh, What you have is a part of God's world, and it can be used in a wise way, but use those resources Not to try to fill God's place in your life. Instead, specifically, he says, use what God has entrusted to further what is important to God. And the most important thing to God. People made in his image. I'll tell you, the applications of this are endless. I I had a whole list that would make for a six-hour sermon. I'll, I'll just read you a couple of them, I thought. So... If you and I use our time 
to mentor kids in our community. And, and we begin to see them being able to get out of gangs and, and resist drugs. That is time well invested. Do you see it? If you and I, from Chuck's message last week, invest our talents to teach the children or the students of this church, or, or musicians using the talents that God has given you uh, to lead us to love God more and to worship Him together. Do you, do you see? That's, that's good use, he says. It's investing in people. If you and I uh, use the money that He has entrusted to us to further the kingdom ministry of the church. And if our church is a place where God's really at work, and I believe He is at work through the church in the lives of people, and we're good stewards and you're good stewards, that's money well invested. I'm telling you, if we use our money to send people where people have never heard the gospel so that they'll hear the gospel and we'll be welcomed into eternity by our eternal friends, that's money well invested. Any, any, any response? I need some response, Camille. Hey. So the second question. How much of your time and talents and treasures are you intentionally, prayerfully investing in the souls and the lives of people for whom Jesus died? Better move on. Third lesson. Jesus goes on in verses 10 to 12 to say, now learn to make this wise stewardship a way of life. It had been embedded in the Old Testament through tithing, simply a way of life, a way of life, a way of life. And so this whole way of thinking that all that I have can be invested in things that last needs to become not just something, a one-time thing that when you feel, the pastor preaches a sermon, I feel guilty this week. Uh, No, no, no. It's a response that comes out of the love of God. And the way he puts it is, verse 10, so whoever can be trusted with very little also can be trusted with much. And who's dishonest with little is going to be dishonest with much. You know, Brady's testimony. Um, He and his wife, Nitza, when they had very little, started building this rhythm of stewardship into their lives. And then, you know, God made him very, very successful in the corporate world. And they just continued to live that way. And then God calls him to, to go to seminary <laughs> into ministry and into the chaplaincy with his less. It's just built into their lives. You see, if we have very little and, and we still are saying, well, what I have is from God. I'm going to build a rhythm of giving. Then God will call us and use us in ways we could never have imagined. How many times have I heard, Pastor, you know, if only I won the lottery, I would give so much to the church. And What would Jesus say about that? He would say, if that's your pattern of life and your way of life, when you have nothing, then you will. And if it is not, you will not. That's what he says. I thought of this story I heard growing up all the time. Song of John, I'm going to wake you up and bring you into the sermon. Imagine you guys down here I'm waking you up, John. All right. Imagine you guys down here being friends as little boys. And uh, John, you coming to Sung and saying, Sung, we've been good friends. Uh, if today you got a million dollars, would you give me half of it? 
And Sung would say, yeah, today I got a million dollars. I'd give you half of it. Well, Sung, if, if you got a half million dollars, would you give me half of it? Sure, John, we're friends. If I, if I got a half million dollars, I'd give you half of it. Sung, we like to play marbles. If you had 10,000 marbles, would you give me half of them? Sure, if I had 10,000 marbles, I'd give you half of them. Sung, if you had 10 marbles, would you give me half of them? And Sung says, now, John, that's not fair. You know I've got 10 marbles. <laughs> you see, it just gets right down to it. We make these big statements. But Jesus teaches us something that is just so true to life, isn't it? That if we're faithful with very, very little, we will be faithful with much. Embed it into our lives now. Teach it to our children now. Begin now. It is a way of life. And, and Jesus in verses 10 and 11 says, I think sometimes we miss out on abundant blessings. Being entrusted with much more. Because we haven't been faithful with what God has given us. So the lesson restated is, good stewardship is no accident. It's an intentional, prayer-filled way of life. So my question for you is this. Are you careful on a daily basis to use all that God has given you, your time, talents, and treasures? Has wise stewardship, like Jesus talks about it, become a way of life for you? Brady's already given testimony. It, it will bring joy. And that's what Jesus is, is asking us. At fourth, I better move there. Isn't it, these three applications are just so real to life, aren't they? You see why Jesus wanted to teach them to us and, and took some time before the cross to do so. But then the fourth one, he gets right at our hearts. And that is, be guided by your love for God when you ask, how do I use what he's given me? Let your love for God and your desire to please God be your guide more than your love for anything or anyone else in this world. The way he puts it is so clear. No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You can't love, which is putting it first place, and this is talking about our first love. You can't love both God and money. And here, Jesus is getting at something that you and I know. That wealth has this power to really become our God. Oh yeah, we'll come to church and say He is, but we really think I've got to have that. It takes the first place of our lives. See, Jesus is going to the heart of what values, what we value more than anything else. And sometimes I think that we are so bound up by thinking I've got to have that. And even when we come to church... Not to come to know God or to, to love Him more, but to hope that if I showed up, maybe He'll let me have that. And again, how many times people have said to me, Pastor, this, this church thing isn't working for me. I've shown up three weeks in a row and had to listen to you all this time, and it's just as hard as it was four weeks ago. Um, Jesus turns to us and says, what is it? that you love the most? What is it that you want to have the center of your life the most? Now here's where I go. If you looked on the worship folder, you say, I understand what's going on in our society and in our world. Both Chris and I grew up in, in poverty. Uh, I'm one of those food stamp kids from West Virginia. 
so I, I never want to preach a sermon about stewardship without acknowledging that some of us are in such financial stress. The statistics show me that for our world, and I know that that has to be true of us. So in some ways, we need to be set free in ways, and and we want to serve you with that as well. That's what this financial stewardship time beginning March 1st is all about. And you say, but you're charging me even to come to that. And, And I'll say, if you can't come to it, come anyway. Because there are two goals. One is to help us all, no matter how much we have, learn how to develop this rhythm of giving. And the second is to tie you up with somebody to link you together with somebody if you're in real financial bondage to find freedom with this deep deep commitment that even as that is happening you will look at the time God has given you and the talents God has given you and perhaps that little might that Jesus talked about in another place that he has entrusted and saying I'll be stewards of all of that even as I learn to develop a way of life I'll just stop there at this point so that we can remember Jesus taught this as he was going to the cross he said it's amazing to me the ultimate act of stewardship in the history of the world was Jesus willingness to use his physical body to bear our sins does that does that amaze you and he says that the understanding that is directly tied to our stewardship because our stewardship as Christians is not just a bunch of rules God gives us It's a response of gratitude to a God who has shown us grace and love. And so that Jesus, just a few days after this, would gather around a table like this with his disciples. And and then he would say, I want you to do this until I come back again. Because this is what is going to keep us going and living the way God made us to live. To remember the stewardship of his life. Paul put it, I think we put this verse up here, I love this verse. For you know the gracious giving of our Lord Jesus Christ. That though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, so that through his poverty you might become rich. And so wise giving ultimately is a matter of our first love. Is, is God your God? Or has something else taken his place? going to be asking our stewards if you would come to the tables even now I'm going to put those four questions back up here so that as as uh, we receive communion today uh, you'll be able to look at them and pray about them uh, we've been having times of communion where we've asked you to come forward today we're going to bring it out to you and as one of our stewards said to me I like doing it both ways because sometimes we go to God but always he comes to us So today he'll come to us, and we will thank him for it. Let me lead us in prayer as this is being passed. Our our Lord's table is the Lord's table. If you know Jesus, even if you're just visiting here today, if he is the Lord and Savior of your life, partake with us. If today you say, I surrender my all to you, you can begin taking with us as well. Let's pray. Father, we know that gratitude... For this greatest gift ever given is the thing that will motivate us to turn from self-centered living into living the way that you have taught us to live. So just as Jesus told us today, we take time as your children to remember. To remember the cross. To remember what happened to the body of our Lord Jesus on that cross.
and to remember His shed blood. Use this time to deepen our love for You. In the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.